0: General Status Inquiry.
1: Thank you, sir. Uh, it appears that counsel for the witness this morning has paper copies of the <clears throat> slides that were used during the questioning. If that's true, um, it, does that mean that you and or your team has been in coordination with him and or her with respect to her testimony this morning? And if that's true, how does that comport with H.R.S. 660s uh,
0: and the fairness that is purportedly associated with that resolution? The, the um, gentleman... The TV for the witnesses wasn't working, so they were given copies this morning. Uh, it is now uh, 45 minutes to Ranking Member Nunez. Uh, and Minority You Council. said that the, the screen in front of them was not working? My understanding is the screen was not working uh, in front of them, so they were given copies so they could read along since they can't see the screens that we can. Um, Mr. Nunez, you're recognized for 45 minutes along with
2: Minority Council. Uh, first, uh, Mr. Chair, I want to submit for the record Senator Grassley's letter to the Department of Justice dated July 20th, 2017. I read a portion of that uh, into the record during my opening statement without objection. Ambassador, uh, congratulate you. You've been down in the secret deposition meeting rooms. Uh, you've graduated for your performance today. Uh, Later this afternoon, I should note that, for the public, that we will be back down in the basement of the Capitol uh, doing uh, more of these secret depositions. Uh, Ambassador, I just have a... I don't really have very many questions for you. Uh, You admitted in your opening statement that uh, you don't have any first-hand knowledge of the issues that we're looking into. Uh, But I do want to talk a little bit about Senator Grassley very briefly. Uh, I assume that you know who Senator Grassley is? Yes, sir, I do. Do you believe that Senator Grassley is a serious and credible elected official?
3: I have no reason to think otherwise.
2: Were you involved in the July 25th Trump-Zelensky phone call or preparations for the call? No, I was not. Were you involved in the deliberations about the pause in military sales to Ukraine as the Trump administration reviewed newly elected President Zelensky's commitment to corruption reforms?
3: For the delay in... Um,
2: For the pause.
3: The pause. Uh, no, I was not.
2: Were you involved in the proposed Trump-Zelensky, later pint zelensky meetings in Warsaw, Poland on September 1st? No, I was not. Did you ever talk to President Trump in 2019? No, I have not. Mick Mulvaney. No, I have not. Thank you, Ambassador. Uh, Not exactly sure uh, what the Ambassador is doing here today. Uh, This is the House Intelligence Committee that's now turned into the House Impeachment Committee. Uh, This seems more appropriate uh, for the Subcommittee on Human Resources at the Foreign Affairs. Uh, committee. Uh, if there's issues with, with employment, disagreements with the administration, it would seem like this would be a more appropriate setting uh, instead of an impeachment hearing where uh, the ambassador is not uh, a material fact witness uh, to anything, any of the accusations that are being hurled uh, at the president for this impeachment inquiry. I'm, uh, I have several questions I think uh, Mr. Castor wants to get to. Uh, I know Ms. Stefanik, you had a, a few quick questions the ambassador. I'll yield to you, Mr. Stefanik.
4: Thank you, Mr. Nunez. Ambassador Yovanovich, General thank woman. you for the being here today. Suspend.
2: The gentlewoman will suspend.
4: What is the interruption for this time? It is our time.
0: The gentlewoman will suspend. You're not recognized. Mr. Nunez, you are minority I counsel. Just, I just recognized. Under I'm the surprised. House Residence 660, you're not allowed to yield time except to minority counsel. The ranking
4: member Your, yielded time to another member of Congress.
2: No, that is not accurate. You're gagging the young from
0: New York? That is
4: accurate. Ambassador Governor, Ivanovich, I wanna thank you for General being woman here today. Generalwoman will suspend, you're not recognized. Uh, this is the fifth time you have interrupted members, of Congress, is is not members recognized. of Congress, newly elected members of
0: Congress.
2: will suspend. Uh, uh, Mr. Chair, we, we control the time. Uh, it's been customary of this committee that whoever controls the time uh, can yield to whoever they wish. If we have members of Congress that have a few questions, it seems appropriate that we'd be able to let Ms. Stefanik uh, ask her question. Nunez, you or minority council recognized.
5: All right, Mr. Castor, you recognized. Thank you, Mr. Nunez, Ambassador. Welcome. Uh, thank you for thank you for your service. Um, Thirty three years, an extraordinary career. Um, it really has been a, a remarkable. Um, tenure for you at the State Department. Uh, I'd like to thank you for participating here today. This is a a crazy environment. Uh, This hearing room is uh, turned into a television studio. Um, Before today, you spent uh, on the Friday the 11th, you were with us for early in the morning until I believe it was 8 o'clock at night. People missed trains back to New York, and it was um, a a complete a very complete day, so thank you. Um, You were serving a three-year assignment in the Ukraine, is that correct? Yes. And it began in (laughs) 2016, and was scheduled to to end in 2019?
3: Yes, that's correct. Um,
5: And nobody disputes that it's up to the president to decide who who his envoy, uh, who his envoys uh, are to posts around the world, correct? I
3: stated that clearly in my statement. Um,
5: And you you returned uh, from Ukraine on on May 20th, 2019? That's correct. And your return coincided with the inauguration of President Zelensky? Yes. And you remain employed by the State Department? I do. Um, And after you returned to Washington, the deputy secretary, uh, John Sullivan, Uh, asked you what you wanted to do next, is that correct?
3: Yes, that's correct.
5: And then you met with the Director General, Ambassador Perez?
3: Yes, that's correct.
5: um, To identify a meaningful new assignment? Yes. Um, and, And you now serve at Georgetown University as a fellow? That's true. And this is a rewarding position for you?
3: I'm very grateful to be in that position after what happened. Um,
5: today is the uh, second big hearing um, p- for the Democrats' in- impeachment initiative. Um, but we don't understand, or we, we do understand, that you you don't have a lot of facts and information relating to the the, the part of this that we're, we're investigating. Um, and those are the events from May 20th up until um, September 11th, the release of the Security Assistance Funds. Is that correct?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct.
5: So you were not part of the the delegation to the inauguration. That was the day you returned. You were not um, part of the Oval Office meeting May 23rd, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, and you were not part of the decision-making relating to whether there would be a White House meeting with President Zelensky? That's correct. And you were not Part of any decision making in the lead up to the the July twenty fifth call,
3: that's correct. Um,
5: and you first learned about the call on September twenty uh, fifth. Is that correct?
3: Well, I heard about the call um, as I indicated in in the first deposition uh, from a, a Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent.
5: Um, and what the, what did he what did he tell you about the call?
3: Well. Um, as it turns out, it it, it wasn't correct, but what I recall is uh, that he said um, that President Trump had uh, asked um, President Zelensky whether he could, you know, help him out, and um, which I understood to be these investigations, and uh, that President Zelensky had said that he is putting in a new uh, prosecutor general, and that he doesn't control uh, I mean, this is Approximately what he said that that uh, that that person is an independent individual.
5: Okay, and and you learned about that before the call was made public That's correct Um, Likewise you you were not involved in any discussions surrounding the uh, security sector assistance funds to Ukraine that they were paused for about 55 days from July 18th to September 11th
3: No discussions
5: Okay. Um, In your Your opening statement on page 9, you stated, although then and now I've always understood that I served at the pleasure of the president, I still find it difficult to comprehend that foreign and private interests were able to undermine U.S. interests in this way. Individuals who apparently felt stymied by our efforts to promote stated U.S. policy against corruption, that is, to do the mission, were able to successfully conduct a campaign of disinformation against the sitting ambassador using unofficial back channels. Do you believe that President Trump was aiming to weaponize corruption in Ukraine by removing you? I I I don't know that. Okay. Um, Do you believe your removal was part of some scheme to to make it easier for um, elements of the Ukrainian establishment to um, do things counter to U.S. interests?
3: I think that's certainly what the Ukrainian establishment hoped. I think that, in addition, uh, there were Americans, um, these two individuals, um, who uh, were working with Mayor Giuliani, Mr. Parnas, and Mr. Fruman, who have recently been indicted by the Southern District of New York, who um, indicated that they wanted to uh, change out the ambassador. and I think they must have had some reason for that.
5: And do you think they were seeking a? A different type of ambassador that would allow them to achieve some of their objectives?
3: I don't know what other reason there would
5: be. Okay. Is uh, Ambassador Taylor the type of person that would facilitate those objectives? No. So um, Ambassador Taylor is a man of high integrity? Absolutely. And he's a he's a good pick for the post?
3: He is. I would note that he is the charge out there as, as of course you understand. So no ambassador has yet been, uh, or no candidate has yet right. been named uh, to, to the position.
5: But he certainly has had a decorated career serving his country.
3: Absolutely, a man of the highest integrity.
5: Um, you, you testified about when you first learned that Mayor Giuliani and some of his associates were, uh, had a concerted campaign Against you. When did that first come to your attention?
3: We were picking up rumors uh, from Ukrainians. Uh, I, I think, you know, kind of in the November, December uh, 2018 time period. Um, but uh, then in January, February, and of course March, uh, it became more obvious.
5: Um, at some point, I believe you testified that um, Minister Avakov um, alerted you to. To this campaign?
3: Yes. When was that? Uh, he had, um, he had a, a conversation with me in February of 2019.
5: Okay. And do you remember what he related to you?
3: Yes. Uh, he said that, uh, Mr. Lutsenko was, uh, working with Mayor Giuliani, um, through, uh, these two individuals, Mr. Parnas and Mr. Furman, that, uh, they um, basically wanted to remove me from post,
5: and, um, that they were, they were working on that. And, and did you have any awareness at that point in time of, of precisely why they were seeking your ouster?
3: You know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't understand that at all, because I had never met Mr. Parnas and Mr. Fruman, and um, so it was unclear to me why uh, why they were interested in, in
5: in doing this. Were you especially in, especially influential uh, implementing policies that stymied their interests in Ukraine? Were advocating for the um, some sort of environment or policies that would that would be adverse to them?
3: I think that. Um, just just the general idea that obviously U.S. ambassadors, U.S. embassies, one of our most important functions is to facilitate um, U.S. business abroad, right? Um, whether it's trade, whether it's um, commerce, um, that, that's one of the things that we do. And um, But, you know, everything has to be above board. Uh, we believe in a level playing ground and so forth, but we obviously advocate for U.S. business. Um, these two individuals, you know, with hindsight and what we learned later, looking to um, open up a a new energy company um, exporting uh, liquefied national gas, natural gas uh, to Ukraine, never actually came to the embassy, which is unusual uh, because that would usually be a first stop, going to the American Chamber of Commerce, going to the U.S. Embassy, get the lay of the land, see how we could provide assistance.
5: Um, And was that... Source of frustration ever expressed to you, or did you just learn that separately? Uh,
3: source of frustration. What right. do you mean? Um, on whose part?
5: On Furman and Parnas.
3: I, I don't know that they were frustrated. I mean, I, I. Okay. Frustrated by what?
5: Well, you mentioned that they were, they had business interests, and you know, I asked you whether you, they had been stymied by anything in particular that you mm-hmm. had advocated for, or you were a roadblock to to them being successful. I wondered if there was any connection.
3: I'd never met them. Um, when um, when I heard those names for the first time, which was in February of 2019, I asked my team. Um, the econ and the commercial sections are the ones who would usually meet with American businessmen um, and women, uh, and nobody had, had had heard of them. So all I can conclude is that it was the general um, general U.S. policies that we were implementing. Mm-hmm. That um, might have been of concern to them. Okay.
5: And at any point, did did you ever try to reach out to the Prosecutor General, Mr. Lutsenko, and find out why he was um, participating in, in this concerted campaign? No. And why didn't you do that?
3: I didn't feel that there was any purpose to it. Um, why not? He is. <clears throat> um, he clearly had. Um, I would say, a, um, animus for doing this, and he was working with Americans. So I reached out to the American side, in this case, the State Department, to um, try and find out what was going on.
5: When did you first realize that your relationship with Lutsenko had, had reached an adversarial point?
3: Um, probably a, a, around that time, maybe a little bit earlier.
5: And this is March?
3: Yeah. And what I would say, adversarial, that's a really strong word. Um, We uh, at the U.S. Embassy are are visiting um, key people from the State Department and other agencies. We were pushing the Ukrainians, including Mr. Lutsenko, to do what they said that they were going to do when Mr. Lutsenko uh, entered office, Mm -hmm. uh, that he was going to clean up the PGO and make reforms. Uh, That he was going to bring justice to the uh, what they call the Heavenly Hundred, the people who died on the Maidan uh, in uh, 2014, the Revolution of Dignity, and he was going to um, prosecute cases to uh, repatriate the approximately 40 billion dollars. It's believed that former President Yanukovych and his cronies fled the country with, and he didn't do any of that. And we, you know, kept on trying to. Encourage him to do the right thing. That's what the Ukrainian people wanted to do him to do And we thought it was a good plan and that he should do it
5: uh-huh. And then you mentioned you You contacted the State Department in late March. Was that under Secretary Hale?
3: Um, so contacted about what
5: About the concerns you had about the campaign against you
3: I Contacted the State Department uh, er- much earlier than that. I mean it was an ongoing um, sort of discussion makes it sound very formal. Uh, we have many ways of going back and forth with Washington uh, and um, so, you know, on, on phone calls or um, uh, DVCs we would have this discussion.
5: When did you realize this?
3: And, is- and if I could just amplify my answer we had the discussion because we were concerned that Ukrainian policymakers, uh, Ukrainian leaders were hearing that um, you know, I was going to be leaving, that, um, you know, there was maybe somebody else waiting in the wings, etc. And that undermined not only my position, but our U.S. position. The Ukrainians didn't know what to think. And we need to be out there all the time firing on all cylinders to promote our national security interests. So it was a concern. And-
5: when did you realize this concerted campaign against you was a real threat? A threat? In a threat to, to your ability to do the job in Kyiv?
3: Um, well, I would say that uh, the, um, you know when you go into a meeting with somebody and, and they ask, are you gonna be leaving? Uh, that is concerning. Um, <clears throat> so that um, probably, I don't know exactly when that started happening, but in that time frame.
5: And did you undertake any efforts to, to push back on this narrative, either inside the State Department or publicly?
3: Uh, well, certainly with the Ukrainians. Um, I said, you know, there's nothing to this. This is, you know, a, a distraction, and we are focused on, on the job. Our policy remains the same. Um, and, uh, yes, we had discussions in the State Department about this.
5: In hindsight, do you, do you think you did enough inside the State Department to alert them to this, um, this mounting campaign against you?
3: Uh, <clears throat> I did what I could.
5: And what was that?
3: Um, reached out to uh, the, um, the European Bureau. Uh, I think you've also heard that <clears throat> Dr. Fiona Hill was aware of, uh, of this as well, so the NSC, and, um, and they had other discussions with more senior people.
5: Okay. Did you get any feedback from from your chain of command? I mean, did you engage um, Ambassador Reeker under Secretary Hale? Yes. And did you develop sort of a game plan to push back against these allegations?
3: So, I mean, there there are different time frames here that we're talking about. So, uh, fast forwarding to March, um, I did, when, when Under Secretary Hale asked whether I would consider extending, I did raise uh, because I wasn't sure that he was aware of it. I wanted to make sure that he knew that uh, Mayor Giuliani had been uh, out there saying uh, things about me, uh, untrue things, and I wanted him to be aware of that. And he said, you know, he understood. um, He still uh, was hoping that I could extend for another year. Uh, So that was early March, uh, and then fast forward uh, to, to, you know, late March and you know, the discussions about this issue continued, but obviously it became once it became a public political story here in the United States, um, the tenor of everything changed, because I think that um, the State Department felt that it wasn't manageable any, anymore, and um, that uh, the, the more prudent thing would be um, for me to come back in July.
5: Do you think there was anything you could have done differently to get ahead of the story and to lobby the Secretary and his counselor, Mr. Breckbuel, that, that these, uh, there was a concerted campaign against you, that you didn't believe the allegations lodged were accurate and you needed their assistance?
3: Uh, I think that, sure, maybe I could have done that, but I think they were aware. And as I subsequently learned from Deputy Secretary Sullivan, uh, the Secretary of State had been well aware of this since the summer of 2018.
5: The uh, corruption is endemic in the, the country of Ukraine, right?
3: I would say that corruption is a serious issue uh, everywhere in the former Soviet Union. It's a post-Soviet legacy, uh, and uh, we talk about it a lot in Ukraine because there's actually an opportunity to um, to do something, to actually help the Ukrainians tackle the issue. They want to tackle the issue. In other countries, like Russia, you can't even talk about it. Um, so. I think it's a post-Soviet legacy, and it's important to deal with it.
5: And that uh, you you testified rampant corruption has long permeated Ukraine's political and economic systems?
3: Yes, that's a fair statement.
5: And it's your belief that it should be the U.S. foreign policy to help Ukraine curb its corruption problem?
3: Yes, because it's good for the Ukrainians, but it's also in our interests.
5: And anti-corruption efforts, you mentioned, uh, serve a national security purpose? I believe that to be true. Are oligarchs a big part of the problem in Ukraine? Probably,
3: because so much wealth is concentrated in the hands of a very, very few, six or seven individuals. And they also have political power and control the medium.
5: And a lot of their power has been acquired through what we here in the U.S. would consider improperly, improper ways.
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair comment.
5: The uh, head of Barisma, uh, Mr. Sochewski,
3: you familiar with him? I don't know him, but I know who you're talking about.
5: Um, you know, George Kent testified a couple days ago that uh, was he was investigating for you know, stealing millions and millions of dollars, uh, some of which had been <clears throat> supplied by uh, the U.S., Great Britain, uh, subject to an investigation, um, trying to get the money back. That was a big part of uh, Mr. Kent's uh, initiatives when he was, when he was there, uh, that a, a bribe was paid um, um, to the prosecutors, and, and Zochevsky was, was uh, let off the hook. This was in 2014. Is this uh, something that you're familiar with?
3: I've heard about it. This was before my arrival. Uh, and I would just say my understanding, uh, but, yeah, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the U.S. money that you're referring to was the um, money that we, um, uh, that we used to fund an FBI team that was embedded uh, with uh, the prosecutor uh, general's office to go after, uh, uh, not to go after, but to to do the investigation of um, Barisma and Sluchevsky.
5: Um, Mr. Kent testified that this this bribe was paid. The prosecution uh, went away, uh, and you know essentially nothing has been you know further done with regards to Barisma. Is you know during your tenure in Ukraine. Has, has there ever been any focus on, on re-examining allegations, uh, whether it's at Burisma or other uh, powerful um, interests like, like Solchevsky, re-examining it?
3: Uh, is that on, on the part of the Ukrainian government? Is that what yeah. you're talking about?
5: Trying to lean on the, on the various prosecutors general to clean up the, the oligarchical system.
3: I think, yes, there have been uh, some some efforts, and as I mentioned earlier in my testimony, um, the U.S. Uh, was um, welcoming of um, Mr. Lutsenko's nomination to the position of um, Prosecutor General, because we were hoping he would clean that up. Um, that, in fact, is, is not uh, what happened. And because, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to um, a, a U.S. audience, but uh, in Ukraine in the former, and in the former Soviet Union more broadly, including in Russia, um, justice—the justice system, whether it's, the, um, whether it's you know cops on the beat, whether it's investigators, whether it is prosecutors, whether it is judges—are used as a um, tool of the political system to um, be used against your political adversaries. And so I think that, um, going back to your question about Burisma and Zlochevsky, my understanding, this, this was, as I told you earlier in the previous uh, deposition, uh, this did not loom large when I arrived. Um, I arrived uh, in um, uh, 2016, August 2016. Uh, but over time, my understanding was that the, that the case was um, basically sort of on a pause. That it, it, was, is, it, it uh, wasn't an active case, but it also was not fully closed. And that is a way, as I uh, mentioned before, for um, those in power to keep a little hook-in mm-hmm. to Burisma and Mr. Zlochewski.
5: And and right around the time the the bribe was paid, uh, Burisma undertook an effort to spruce up their board, and they added, I believe, the president of Poland and some other luminaries. Are you familiar with that?
3: Yeah, I don't exactly know what the timing of all of this was. Okay. But Um, yes, I mean, to the elements.
5: And, you know, one of the folks they added to the the board was the vice president's son, Hunter Biden, um, which, you know, raises questions, is he a genius on the corporate governance front? Uh, Is he a genius with the Ukrainian oligarchical systems and and cleaning that up, or was he just added to the board because he's the vice president's son? Was that ever, um, you know, a concern, or at least the perception of that concern uh, addressed?
3: As I said, I arrived in August of 2016, um, you know, several months before the elections and several months before uh, President Trump took office and uh, it was not a focus of what I was doing in, in that six month period.
5: Okay. Was, was the issue ever raised at all?
3: Um, you know, not- He not, was still
5: on the board, I think, at the time.
3: Yeah, my understanding from newspaper accounts is that uh, he just recently uh, left in right. 2019. Uh, I never met him, um, never, uh, never talked to him. Um, and I'm sorry, what was your question?
5: He was still on the board when you arrived at post and was just wondering if, if at least the perception problem was, was brought to your attention as the ambassador.
3: Um, we, I was aware of it because, as I told you before, in, in the deposition, uh, there had been a... Um, in terms of the preparation for my Senate confirmation hearings for mm. Ukraine, uh, there was a, a, a question about that okay. and, a, and a select answer. So I was aware of it. Okay. Yes.
5: Um, in, in your deposition, you, you acknowledged that the, the president has longstanding concerns about corruption in Ukraine. Is that true?
3: Um, that's, that's, that's what he says.
5: Um, well, going back to um, there was a, a meeting with President Poroshenko in September of 2017 in the Oval Office, and I believe you testified that you know, he expressed his concerns then.
3: Yeah, he said that a friend of his had told him that Ukraine was the most corrupt country in the world.
5: Okay. Um, Several uh, witnesses have testified that the president um, has concerns that there are certain elements of the Ukrainian establishment that during 2016 were uh, out to get them. Is that something you were aware of at any point in time?
3: Well, I'm certainly aware of it now. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, press attention on that. Um, it was not. It was not brought to my attention during the two and a half years that I served under President Trump as uh, our ambassador to Ukraine.
5: We've gone through the deposition. Some of these these elements that mm-hmm. um, you know maybe they loom larger now, but you know in hindsight. Was there any discussion at the embassy that there's these indications of some Ukrainians trying to, you know, at least advocate against then-candidate Trump?
3: Actually, there weren't. I mean, we, we didn't really see it that way. Um,
5: and were you aware of, uh, I know Mr. Nunes mentioned this earlier, the, uh, the consultant, Alexander Chalupa, had uh, reportedly, at least according to her and according to um, Ken Vogel at the Politico um, was trying to work with the Ukrainian embassy in D.C. to, you know, trade information, share leads of that sort, sort of thing.
3: I saw the article. I, you know, didn't have any further information um, about that.
5: Um, and did you see the article at the time, or did you only, did that only come to your attention subsequently?
3: It's certainly been brought to my attention subsequently. Um, I think I did see something to that effect at the time as well.
5: And. and- you know, you're the ambassador in-country at this point. Did, did you aim to get to the bottom of that? Because, you know, if true, if the reporting's true, if what Mr. Lupa told uh, Mr. Vogel is accurate, um, that would be concerning, correct?
3: Well, I, I was the ambassador in Ukraine starting in um, August of 2016. And what you're describing... Uh, if, if true, as, as you said, um, what you're describing took place in the United States. So if there were concerns uh, about uh, what um, Ms. Chalupa was doing, I, I think that that would have been handled here.
5: And, and do you know Ms. Chalupa?
3: I don't believe so. Did you ever met her? I, I don't think so. I mean, if she worked for the Ukrainian embassy, it's possible that I met her in a large group or something, but I don't, I don't believe I know her.
5: Are you aware of the role that investigative journalist uh, Mr. Leschenko played in publicizing the the uh, Manafort uh, black ledgers? Yes. And he, he he publicized some information in a pretty pretty grand way in August of 2016, and almost immediately um, coincided with Mr. Manafort leaving the Trump <clears throat> campaign. Um, was there anything about? that issue when it was occurring that concerned you?
3: Well, I certainly noticed it because I was, you know, a a week or so away from arriving in Ukraine. Um, I think that from a Ukrainian perspective, I realize we are looking at this from an American perspective. Uh, From a Ukrainian perspective, I think that what um, Mr. Leshenko and others uh, who were looking into the Black Ledger were most concerned about was actually not Mr. Manafort, but um, former President Yanukovych and his political party and the amount of money that they allegedly stole and where it went and so forth. I I mean, I think there's just a difference in perspective, depending on which country you're in. Um,
5: But you can understand the president, at least from his perspective, looking at these facts. It certainly is reasonable to conclude that there are elements of the Ukrainian establishment that are are advocating against them at this point in time, correct?
3: Well, you know, just speaking about Mr. Leshenko, uh, he's an investigative journalist, as you said, and he um, got access to the Black Ledger, and he published, uh, he published it, as uh, I think journalists would do. And uh, again, I, I'm not sure that that, I don't have any information to suggest that that was being, that was targeting um, President Trump.
5: With the way the events unfolded, it, it, I mean, Mr. Manafort was, you know, subsequently left the campaign and it it certainly did begin a a period of interest in, you know, Manafort's ties to to, uh, Russia and so forth.
3: I think, again, uh, I think that, um, that may have been the effect here in the United States And um, obviously, it was of interest to journalists and others here that Mr. Manafort was um, former President Yanukovych's political advisor, and he was the uh, political advisor, head of a campaign here. Um, And so we all know that there have been court cases and so forth uh, where Mr. Manafort was found uh, guilty of of certain actions. Um, But at the end of the day, President Trump won the elections.
5: With Mr. Lyshenko's reporting, I mean, there, there's been a question of whether all the information that he he published was authentic, correct?
3: I'm sorry, could you repeat that?
5: There's been a – some have questioned whether the information Mr. Leschenko published was all correct, or whether it was doctored.
3: Okay, I, I wasn't aware of that.
5: Okay. Um, you know, Ambassador Charlie, during the August time frame, he, he wrote an op-ed in The Hill, um, taking issue with then candidate Trump, were you aware of that when it occurred? Yes. And did you have any communications with the ambassador to express concerns? No. Um, and how frequently did you communicate with with the ambassador? Obviously, you're in different posts in different countries, but
3: yeah, um, didn't actually um, see him or uh, talk to him that so you, often. So
5: you weren't in frequent communication. No. Can you see how you know writing an op-ed, even you know given the substance, you know we've discussed the substance of it. That there's <clears some throat> sensitivities, um, but can you see how just the, the simple fact of writing an op-ed, the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. might create a perception that there are elements of the Ukrainian establishment that were advocating against then candidate Trump?
3: My recollection of the of that op-ed was that he was taking a. Um he was critical of a policy position uh, that um, President Trump had with regard to Crimea and whether Crimea was, um, you know, a part of Ukraine or a part of Russia. That's a tremendously sensitive issue in Ukraine. And um, my recollection is that that is what uh, Ambassador Chow Lee was writing about.
5: And, and do you know whether the ambassador or anybody from the embassy tried to make contact with uh, the Trump camp to? talk about their concerns before lodging an op-ed? I I don't know. Okay. Um, During the the same time period of the run-up to the election, the um, Minister Avakov had said some especially uh, candid things about then-candidate Trump on on some various social media platforms.
3: Are you aware of that? Yes, as a result of the deposition, okay. the previous deposition.
5: But, but, but during the relevant time period when it was happening, you, you weren't aware of that? I, you know, I, I, I don't recall it. Okay. He, he, he's one of the more influential officials in the Ukraine, correct? Yes. Um, I believe he's one of the few that span both the Poroshenko uh, administration and the Zelensky administration?
3: Yes, that's correct.
5: Um, Look, looking back on his comments in hindsight, do, do you see how that might create a perception that a very influential Ukrainian was was you know advocating against then Canada Trump?
3: That he was doing what? I'm sorry. Just
5: advocating. He was he was out to get him. I mean he was he was he said some real nasty things.
3: Well, you know sometimes that happens on social media, and I, I you know are you asking me? Whether it's appropriate, um, um, probably not. Uh, but I would say that um, Minister Ivakov has been, um, a- as well as others, both in um, uh, President Poroshenko's administration as well as in uh, the Zelensky administration, uh, has been a good partner uh, to the United States. As I think I told you before, he's a very practical man and looking for partners and getting
5: the job done. I'm, I'm shocked that social media would the site of negative comments. Um, the, um, y- y- you certainly can understand that n- the President, aware of Minister you know statements, aware of what Mr. Leshenko was up to, what Ambassador Charlie was up to, um, and these other elements that we've discussed, that there certainly forms a reasonable basis to wonder whether there are influential uh, you know, elements of the Ukrainian establishment that were out to get the president.
3: I, you know, again, I mean, I can't speak for uh, what um, President Trump thought or what others thought. I would just say that um, those elements that you've recited um, don't seem to me to be the Ukrainian, you know, kind of a um, plan or a plot of the Ukrainian government to work against um, President Trump or, or, or anyone else. I mean, they're isolated um, incidents. Mm -hmm. We all know, I'm coming to find out myself, that public life can be, you know, people are critical. And um, that does not mean that someone is, um, or a government is undermining uh, either a campaign or uh, interfering in elections. And I would just remind again, that our own US intelligence community has conclusively determined that The, um, those who interfered in the election were in Russia.
5: Um, you, you would turn our attention to Ambassador Volker. He's, he's been a, a friend and colleague of yours for many years. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Um, and I believe you testified he's a man of honor.
3: I believe that to be true.
5: And, and a brilliant diplomat. Yes. Um, and you have no reason to think that he would be undertaking any initiative that was counter to U.S. interests?
3: I think that he um, tried to do what he thought was right.
5: The, turning our attention to the, the Trump administration's policy, um, of aid, the aid package, uh, to Ukraine. Um, y- you've testified that during <laughs> your tenure as ambassador, America's policy actually got stronger towards Ukraine. Is that accurate?
3: With the provision of javelins to the Ukrainian military, yes, that was, that was really positive.
5: And why was that important?
3: Well, two things. Um, they are um, obviously tank busters and so if the war with Russia all, all of a sudden accelerated in some way and tanks come over the horizon, uh, javelins are a very serious weapon to deal with that. That's number one. But really the more important issue is the symbol—the symbolism of it, that the United States is providing javelins to Ukraine. That makes uh, Ukraine's adversaries think twice.
5: And the, the provision of javelins to Ukraine was... was- Blocked during the the previous administration, is that correct?
3: I think they made a determination. Um, I was not a part of those discussions, but uh, obviously they had not yet made a determination about whether to provide javelins.
5: But do you have any <clears throat> understanding of what the interagency consensus was with regard to javelins uh, during the previous administration?
3: I think that um, most in the interagency wanted to provide javelins to Ukraine. Um,
5: and so. In the new administration under, you know, President Trump, the ability to afford Ukraine this weaponry is a significant advantage, significant step forward?
3: We thought it was important.
5: And has it played out that way?
3: Well, it it has um, because it's a a symbol of our strong support for Ukraine. but when then, you know, this year there are questions as to whether or not our security assistance is going to go through, that kind of undermines that, that strong message of support.
5: The uh, Ukraine still has the ability to acquire the javelins though, correct? Uh, are,
3: are you now talking about purchasing javelins? Purchasing? By the Ukrainian government? Yeah, um, yeah they do. And, that is my understanding and right, the yeah.
5: security sector assistance <laughs> did go through it was paused for 55 days from July 18th to September 11th but it ultimately went through correct it's
3: my understanding
5: okay mm-hmm. you testified during your deposition that you were you were proud of the efforts of the United States during your tenure to supply this, this type of aid to to Ukraine. Do do you still, are you still happy with with the decisions?
3: Are you talking about the Javelin?
5: The Javelin, and also the, the, just the the whole aid package. Yes. Do you think it's sufficient? Do do you think we're giving Ukraine enough money?
3: That's a hard question, because one can always um, use uh, additional uh, funding. That said, I think that, um, that the Congress has been very generous in voting for security assistance and other forms of assistance for Ukraine. Let's see
5: my time is coming to an end, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank the gentleman. Uh, we'll now go to a member of Five Minute Rounds. I recognize myself for five minutes. Vasti uh, Ivanovich, I want to follow <laughs> up on some of the questions from my colleagues. Um, Some of the early questions seem to suggest that your testimony here was completely irrelevant to the issues at hand. Why are you even here? Isn't this just some small matter that should have been referred to HR? Um, So I want to uh, bring our attention to someone who thought you were actually very important to this whole plot or scheme, uh, and that is the President of the United States. There was only one ambassador, I believe, who was discussed by the president in the July 25th call, and that was you, Ambassador Ivanovich. And I want to refer back to how you were brought up in that conversation. Uh, At one point during the conversation, the president brings up this uh, prosecutor who was very good, and it was shut down, and that's really unfair. Uh, And I think you indicated earlier that that was a likely reference to Mr. Lutsenko, the corrupt prosecutor. Is that right?
3: I believe that is the case, but I don't know. Ha-
0: so immediately after the president brings up this corrupt uh, former prosecutor, um, only one, I'm sorry, my staff is corrected me, only one American ambassador is brought up in the call. Um, immediately after the president brings up this corrupt prosecutor that he praises and says he was treated very unfairly, he then encourages Zelensky to speak with Giuliani, the guy who orchestrated the smear campaign against you, correct? Yes. And he, uh, he then brings you up. So he praises the corrupt prosecutor. He says, I want you to talk to Giuliani, the guy who smeared you. And then he brings you up. He obviously thought you were relevant to this. But what is even more telling is immediately after he brings you up and says that you, the woman, was bad news, He says there's a lot lot to talk about about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution and a lot of people want to find out about that so whatever you can do with the Attorney General would be great. Immediately after praising this corrupt prosecutor, he attacks you and then he goes right to Biden. That would indicate to you, wouldn't it, Ambassador, that he connects you somehow with this prosecutor you were at odds with and his desire to see this investigation of Biden go forward? Would it not?
3: Again, um, you're absolutely right that that is the thought progression.
0: Um, My colleagues also asked, in pushing you out of the way, Mm Ultimately, Ambassador Taylor got appointed. Is Ambassador Taylor the kind of person that would further Giuliani's aims? Uh, And I think we can all agree that Ambassador Taylor is a remarkable public servant. Absolutely. But what if the president could put someone else in place that wasn't a career diplomat? What if he could put in place, say, a substantial donor to his inaugural? What if you could put in place someone with no diplomatic experience at all? What if you could put in place someone whose portfolio doesn't even include Ukraine? Might that person be willing to work with Rudy Giuliani in pursuit of these investigations?
3: Yeah, maybe. Well,
0: that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? Yes. And my colleagues also say well, the security assistance ultimately went through. So if they sought to condition or bribe Ukraine into doing these investigations by withholding security assistance, they ultimately paid the money. Um, Are you aware, Ambassador, that the security assistance was not released until after a whistleblower complaint made its way to the White House?
3: Yes, I'm aware of that.
0: Are you aware that it was not released until Congress announced it was doing an investigation?
3: Yes, I'm aware of that.
0: And finally, I want to ask you about the call record that my colleague read at the outset. I'm curious about this, uh, and just for people watching at home so they're not confused, there are two calls here. There's the perfunctory congratulatory call after Zelensky is inaugurated, which uh, my ranking member read this morning. And then there's, of course, the very problematic call in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons we are here is what happened between April and July. Um, But there was a readout put out by the White House at the time the April congratulatory call was made. And the White House readout said that the President discussed with Zelensky helping Ukraine root out corruption. Now that in fact doesn't appear anywhere in that call. So I want to ask you, Ambassador, why would the White House put out an inaccurate reading? Why would the White House represent? that the president said something about corruption when he said nothing about corruption, in that call, or in fact, in the one in July? I,
3: I can't answer that question. I don't have visibility into that.
0: I thank you. Um, I yield now five minutes now to recognize uh, the ranking member.
2: I uh, just remind the gentleman, there's actually three calls. There's the two calls with President Trump and the one that you uh, reiterated in our last hearing a couple of weeks ago. Ambassador, I just want to clarify something before I yield. Are you against political appointed ambassadors? Is it not the president's uh, prerogative to appoint whoever he wants in any country?
3: First of all, I am not against political ambassadors, I just, just to be clear. To, I just wanted to
2: clear that up. Uh, now, can I yield to Ms. Stefanik, if I need your permission? Uh, you may yield.
4: Thank you. First Ambassador, of- before I was interrupted, I wanted to thank you for your 30 years of public service, from Mogadishu to Ottawa, to Moscow, to London, to Kiev. Um, I also wanted to thank you for hosting the numerous bipartisan delegations. I led one of those delegations in Ukraine. My questions today will focus on three key themes. The first is the role of the President when it comes to appointing our ambassadors. The second is longstanding corruption in Ukraine. And the third is aid to Ukraine. Earlier this week, as you know, we heard from George Kent, and I know that Mr. Kent is a colleague, a friend, and someone who you deeply respect. In his testimony, he stated, all ambassadors serve the pleasure of the president. You would agree with that statement, correct? Yes. And in fact, he elaborated and went on to emphasize that this is without question. Everybody understands that. You would agree with that? I would agree with that. And in your own deposition under oath, you stated, quote, although I understand, everyone understands that I serve at the pleasure of the president. Is that correct? Yes. And just so there's no public confusion, you are still an employee of the State Department, correct? Yes. And in the deposition, you say that you personally asked whether it would be possible to be a fellow at Georgetown University. And that was arranged for me, and I'm very grateful. That's where you're posted today, correct? Yes. Georgetown students are lucky to have you. We are lucky to have you in Foreign Service. And I again want to thank you for your tremendous public service. Shifting gears to corruption in Ukraine, in your powerful deposition, you described, quote, we have long understood that strong anti-corruption efforts must form an essential part of our policy in Ukraine. And now there is a window of opportunity to do that. And so why is this important? And why is this important to us? Put simply, anti-corruption efforts serve Ukraine's interests, but they also serve ours as well. Is that still your testimony? Yes. And particularly at the critical time in 2014 after the Ukrainian elections, you testified that the Ukrainian people had made clear in that very election that they were done with corruption. Correct? Yes. And you also testified that the Ukrainians thought it would be a good idea to set up this architecture of a special investigative office that would be all about the crimes of corruption, correct? Yes. And I know this was before you arrived in Ukraine, but you are aware that the first case that the US, UK, and Ukraine investigators worked on was, in fact, against the owner of Burisma. Yes. And that was during the Obama administration. Yes. And in your testimony, you, and you said today, the investigation was never formally closed because, quote, it's frankly useful to keep that company hanging on a hook, right? That's the your quote. U- yeah,
3: the Ukrainian investigation was never
4: closed. Partnered with the US and the UK. As I understand it. Yeah, although,
3: because we didn't see the Ukrainians moving forward on that, we no longer partner with them uh, on that case or in that way.
4: But let's take a first <laughs> yeah. step, uh, a step back. The first time you personally became aware of Burisma, was actually when you were being prepared by the Obama State Department for your Senate confirmation hearings. And this was in the form of practice questions and answers. This was your deposition. And you testified that in this particular practice Q&A with the Obama State Department, it wasn't just generally about Burisma and corruption. It was specifically about Hunter Biden and Burisma. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And the exact quote from your testimony, Ambassador, is, quote, the way the question was phrased in this model Q&A was, what can you tell us about Hunter Biden's, you know, being named to the board of Burisma? So for the millions of Americans watching, President Obama's own State Department was so concerned about potential conflicts of interest from Hunter Biden's role at Barisma that they raised it themselves while prepping this wonderful ambassador nominee before her confirmation. And yet, our Democratic colleagues and the chairman of this committee cry foul when we dare ask that same question that the Obama State Department was so concerned about. But we will continue asking it. And lastly, in my 20 seconds left, I just want to get it on record, in terms of defensive lethal aid, which you were an advocate for, that was not provided by President Obama. It was provided by President Trump. That's correct. I yield back five seconds. Ms.
6: Sure you recognized. Ambassador, thank you for your testimony today. Those of us who sit up here are supposed to be dispassionate and judicial and measured, um, but I'm angry. And I've been angry since I learned about your summary and unexplained dismissal after a lifetime of excellent and faithful service to this country. I'm angry that a woman whose family fled communism and Nazism, who served this country beautifully for 33 years, not in Paris or in Rome, but literally under fire, places like Mogadishu and Kyiv. I'm angry that a woman like you would be, not just dismissed, but humiliated and attacked by the President of the United States. And I'm not just angry for you, I'm angry for every single Foreign Service officer, for every single military officer, for every intelligence officer, who right now might believe that a lifetime of service and sacrifice and excellence might be ignored by the President of the United States or worse yet, attacked in language that would embarrass a mob boss. Now, it's the president's defense, and it's emerging from my Republican colleagues today, that this is all okay, because as the president so memorably put it in his tweet this morning, it is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. I'm a little troubled by this idea of an absolute right, because that doesn't feel to me like the system of government we have here. I think that how and why we exercise our powers and rights matters. Ambassador, when you're ambassador somewhere, do you have the right to ask the intelligence community, the CIA in an embassy, what operations they're doing?
3: We talk about these things collaboratively. Um, There's some things that, um, in short, yes.
6: So you have the right to ask the intelligence community in your embassy what they're doing. Why why might you do that?
3: Uh, Because sometimes operations have um, political consequences.
6: Right, so the performance of your duties in the interests of the United States gives you the right to ask very sensitive questions of our intelligence community in your embassy. But what if instead of working through the issues that you just described, you went to dinner that night and handed over that information to a Russian agent for $10,000. Would that be an appropriate exercise of your right? No, it would not. It would not. And what would happen to you if you did that?
3: Well, I can't even begin to imagine, but I, I would imagine that I would be pulled out of post.
6: Right, and, and this, is, this is not about ambassadors, right? A police officer has the right to pull you over. but If the police officer pulls over his ex-wife because he's angry, that's probably not right. I have the right, in fact, today, I cast a bunch of votes. But if I cast those votes, not in the interest of my constituents, but because somebody bribed me, that is a severe abuse of my power. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. <clears throat> so I guess the question is, why After an exemplary performance as ambassador to Ukraine, did the president decide that you should be removed? Because I think we just agreed that if that was not done in the national interest, that's a problem. Ambassador, if you had remained ambassador to Ukraine, would you have recommended to the president of the United States that he asked the new Ukrainian president to investigate, and I'm quoting from the transcript here, CrowdStrike or the server?
3: No, uh, I would repeat once again that the U.S. intelligence community has concluded that it was the Russians. Okay,
6: so Ambassador, if you had remained as Ambassador and not been summarily dismissed, would you have supported a three-month delay in congressionally mandated military aid to Ukraine? No. Ambassador, if you had remained as ambassador of Ukraine, would you have recommended to the president that he ask a new president of Ukraine to, quote, find out about Biden's son? No. I have no more questions. I yield back the balance of my time.
0: <clears throat> Mr. Conway.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman, as you to enter the record, Dear colleague, letter from Speaker Pelosi, dated September 23rd, relevant part reads: uh, "We expect. We also expect that he will establish a path for the whistleblower to speak directly to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees as required by law." Without objection. Thank you. I look forward to you honoring that statement from the Speaker, Attorney Ambassador Ambassador. Um, I, for one, want to thank you so very much for uh, a long service, exemplary service for. Uh, uh, to our country and on behalf of our nation, lots been said about what was going on um, around the phone call. I'd like to focus more on what's happened since then to you and your career and and and, uh, and what's going on. So, when you got the word, any time a ambassador changes post, there's a process you go through to depict what you do next. Uh, and that happened in this instance. Can you give us a quick statement as to how what happened when you uh, when you came back here as to what your next assignment would be at, at State?
3: Um, so when I came back, um, obviously it was uh, sort of out of cycle, there was nothing set up. Sure. Um, and again, I am grateful that, uh, Deputy Secretary Sullivan asked me what I would like to do next. Um, I recalled that there was the fellowship at Georgetown and asked whether that might be something that could be arranged.
1: Was that your only choice?
3: Um, I'm not sure. Uh, we okay. didn't really discuss other options.
1: Um, my sense is Georgetown is fertile ground for State Department recruitment of future fledgling Forest Service officers. And so they now benefit from uh, your experience and your inspiration to uh, to inspire them to have spend their professional life in service to our nation. Um, Thank you. You're a fellow there. You teach classes. How many classes do you teach?
3: Uh, well, uh, this semester I was supposed to teach two. Uh, uh, I am still teaching one on national security. Uh, the other one was on Ukraine, and I asked whether I could... Um, uh, How many many students in your class? Um, Approximately. There are, uh, let's see, I think 14, 14,
1: 15. Uh, Any other responsibilities at State other than the the fellowship at Georgetown?
3: Well, I will tell you that um, all of this has kept me very busy.
1: Okay, I got that. But but no necessarily day-to-day things that you'd be responsible for. Other than the other than not qualifying for overseas stipends and other things, has your compensation been affected by being recalled the way you were? No, it has not. Okay, um, I'm worried about the way you might be treated by your fellow employees at state. Uh, any um, any negative? Are they hold you in less high regard than they used to as a result of this. Do they shun you at the lunch counter? I mean, do they treat you badly as a as a result of the way you were treated by uh, by the president.
3: I've actually received an outpouring of support
1: from my colleagues. Okay, so the folks that you respect the most uh, still respect you and and appear to hold you in high regard and high affection? They do. Okay. Uh, George Kent was in here a couple days ago. He made some exemplary statements about you, uh, really glowing. Uh, All of us, I think, would like to be the recipient of something that worthy, uh, and I believe you are as well. Any, Any reason on earth that you can think of that George Kent... Would be saying that because of some reason other than the fact that he believes that it in his heart of hearts.
3: Like, like what?
1: Well, I mean, like somebody paid him to do it.
3: Oh, no. Absolutely okay, so not. you and I
1: agree that we think he was sincere in that in that bragging on you, and that's all post uh, recall episode that that there uh, was been much of the discussion this morning. Um, well, I'm glad that your colleagues—I would have expected nothing any different from your colleagues at state—to uh, to continue to treat you with the high regard that you've earned. Uh, over all these years of great service, and I, uh, I hope that whatever you decide to do after the Georgetown Fellowship, that uh, that you're as successful there as you've been in the first 33 years. With that, I yield the balance of my time to Mr. Jordan.
7: I have Thank a unanimous consent request uh, that an article uh, entitled "Whistleblower" is expected to testify soon. House Intelligent Chairman Schiff says, "Wall Street Journal, September 29, 2019," be included in the record without objection. I have a unanimous consent request that an article entitled whistleblower reaches agreement to testify will appear very soon representative Adam Schiff says USA Today September 29th 2019 without objection I have a unanimous consent request article entitled Schiff confirms tentative agreement for whistleblower to testify before House Intelligence Committee CNN September 29th 2019 Without objection I have a unanimous consent request Intelligence panel has deal to hear whistleblowers testimony says Schiff Washington Post September 29th 2019 Without objection I have unanimous consent request Uh, an article entitled whistleblower Reportedly agrees to testify before House Intelligence Committee reported by Schiff Huffington Post September 29th 2019 Without objection I have unanimous consent request an article titled Shift Panel will hear from Whistleblower, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, September 29th, 2019.
0: Without objection, the time of the gentleman has expired. I now recognize Ms. Sewell.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ambassador, in your prior testimony, you spoke so movingly about your family background. You stated that your parents fled communist and Nazi regimes and that they valued freedom and democracy offered in America, having experienced totalitarian regimes. Did that have any effect on your desire to enter into the United States Foreign Service? Yes, it did. Did you always know that you wanted to be in the Foreign Service? I look at your background, and it is perfectly suited for what you're doing. Um, I note that you studied at the Pushinsky state Russian language Institute in Russia to learn yes. Russian yeah that you have a do you also have an MS from the National Defense University National War College yes I even uh, I even noticed that you earned a, 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 a your undergraduate degree in history and Russian studies uh, in college and uh, coincidentally that was also my college um, uh, but I wanted and you're you definitely are doing Princeton in the nation service by uh, yes. what you do every day. Um, but I really want to know how it felt to have your reputation sullied uh, not for state and nation but for personal gain. You spoke about how your service is not just your own personal service, it affects your family. And today we've seen you as this former ambassador, this 33-year veteran of the Foreign Service, but I want to know about you personally and how this has affected you personally and your family.
3: Yeah. It's been a difficult time. I mean, I, uh, I'm a private person. I don't want to put all that out there, but it's been a very, very difficult time because um, the president does have the right to have his own Uh, or her own ambassador in every country in the world.
8: But does does the president have the right to actually malign people's character? I mean, it may not be against any law, but I would think that it would be against decorum and decency.
3: I mean, there's a question as to why the kind of campaign to get me out of Ukraine happened. Um, Because all the president has to do is say he wants a different ambassador. And in my line of work, um, perhaps in your line of work as well, all we have is our reputation. And so this has been a very painful period.
8: How has it affected your family?
3: I really don't want to get into that, but thank you for asking. Um,
8: Because I do care. I also want to know how you think it affected your fellow um, colleagues uh, in the Foreign Service. Um, My Republican colleagues have said that since you received such adulation from and embracing from your own fellow colleagues, that what occurred, the incident that occurred with the president um, and his cronies, you know, uh, maligning your reputation, has that had a chilling effect on the ability um, and the morale within the foreign service? Can you speak to that?
3: Yeah, I I think that it has had exactly that, a chilling effect, not only in Embassy Kyiv, but throughout the State Department uh, because people don't know um, kind of w- w- whether their efforts to pursue our stated policy are going to be um, supported, and that is, a, um, that is a dangerous place to be.
8: Now, uh, for the record, my Republican colleagues will probably try to paint you as a never-Trumper. Are you a never-Trumper? No. Um, As a Foreign Service officer, you took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States without regard for who is in office. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Have you also served in your 33 years for not just Democratic presidents but also Republican presidents?
3: For Republican presidents.
8: For Republican presidents. In fact, you joined the Foreign Service under Reagan. Is that not right?
3: Yes, that's true. Now, why do you think it's
8: really important that Foreign Service officers are nonpartisan? Can you talk to us about why it's important for you to do your job and your fellow Foreign Service officers to do your job that you're nonpartisan?
3: Yeah, because our work is essentially nonpartisan. And, uh, you know, Senator Vandenberg, a Republican senator uh, who uh, actually partnered with President Truman, coined a phrase that politics should uh, stop at the water's edge. And I think that's exactly right, because while obviously the competition of ideas in a democracy with different parties, different individuals, is hugely important. um, But at the end of the day, when we are dealing with other countries, it needs to be about what is right for the United States. Those are our national security interests. And whether uh, an individual works for the CIA or the military, or the State Department. Uh, We've got to be nonpartisan and thinking about what is right for the United States.
8: Well, on behalf of a grateful nation, I want to say thank you for your service, and I yield back the balance of my time. Thank you. Mr. Turner.
7: Ambassador, I want to say I have a great deal of respect for what you do. I serve on the Armed Services Committee, the Intelligence Committee. I've worked with the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, including being its president, and I know the complexity of, of what you do. I know you have little access directly to decision makers, little resources, but you have still a great deal of responsibility. Uh, It's a complex task. And I want to take us from just the concept of one dimensional Ukraine being corrupt to the other issues that you had to deal with as the Ukraine ambassador. You had to deal with more than just our bilateral relationship with Ukraine, for example. And I'd like confirmation that obviously I know you know these, but these were on your portfolio. You had to deal with the issue of the OSCE Budapest Agreement and the uh, denuclearization of Ukraine and the issues of its territorial integrity of of the signatories, correct?
3: Um, Could you run that by me again?
7: The OSCE, Mm -hmm. um, the Organization for Security and Cooperation for Europe, Mm -hmm. and the Budapest Agreement, under which Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons and believed they had its territorial integrity Mm -hmm. guaranteed by the United States and Russia. Mm -hmm. You would have had that in your portfolio.
3: Well, that... Was an issue
7: you would have to deal with the Ukrainians on?
3: Yeah, when the Ukrainians would ask about our policy and whether it was in keeping with the Budapest agreement.
7: Excellent. NATO. um, Ukraine is an aspiring NATO country. And, of course, you have the Bucharest Summit, where the U.S. and the NATO allies made a statement that they would get membership. That would have been on your portfolio. They would have been Um, discussing with you. Yes, certainly
3: aspirations to NATO membership would be...
7: And it's also consistent with U.S. policy that the U.S. supports Ukraine joining the EU, and they have a great deal of of, uh, interest and and desire for joining the EU, correct? Yes. And they just had a a summit in Ukraine in July, where they talked about uh, the associated agreement on economic integration between the Ukrainians and the EU. And they also had a discussion about the illegal annexation of Crimea and the blocking by Russia of the Ukrainian sailors that came out of the Azov Sea and that were were captured those would have all been issues that would have been in your portfolio and that were consistent with what the EU's issues are, correct?
3: Yes, we work closely with our EU partners.
7: In addition to Ukraine, you'd have to work with France and UK and Germany, all of which you have different ideas of those. The ambassadors to the Ukraine of France, Germany, and yeah.
3: correct? Yeah. Uh, did you say they all have different ideas about these issues?
7: Some of them, yes.
3: Um, but, but mostly there's a consensus.
7: You'd have to work with NGOs, non-governmental organizations, on issues that we heard about legal aid, human trafficking, building democratic institutions, and even HIV AIDS, right? Yes. And you've spoken at several NGOs while you were the ambassador to Ukraine.
3: Yes. Now,
7: the U.S. ambassador to um, the EU, they would have under their portfolio aspiring nations to the EU, would they not? Okay, so um, EU Ambassador Sondland then would have had Ukraine in his portfolio because they're an inspiring nation and he's our US ambassador to the EU, correct?
3: I think he testified that one of his first But you agree that it's within with his Ukraine. portfolio,
7: correct? You would agree that it's in his portfolio, would you not? Yes. I would agree. Yes, thank you. Now, I, I want to go to the I'm next sorry, question. I'm sorry, Commissioner Holbrook is um, a gentleman who I have suspend. a great deal of, of general suspense for. Ashley
0: Ivanovich should not finish her answer. You may finish your answer, Ambassador. Thank not you. out of my time. You're done. No, nope. right. The ambassador. The ambassador will be recognized.
3: I would say that um, all EU ambassadors deal with other countries, including aspiring countries, but the it is unusual to name the U.S. ambassador to the EU to be responsible for all aspects of Ukraine.
7: I, I, I'll, I'll take your additional answer. It's still in his portfolio, which was my question. You, you knew Ambassador Holbrook probably, I did. He's a man of great integrity, one of our most successful a- ambassadors. Um, you know him probably by his reputation, you would agree that he was a man of great reputation, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Madam Ambassador, would it surprise you if in 2004, John Kerry, Had a member of his campaign, who was a foreign policy advisor, who traveled to the Ukraine in July, and met with Ukrainian officials and the U.S. ambassador. Did that surprise you? A a member of John Kerry's campaign team for president of the United States in 2004 traveled to Ukraine, met with the U.S. ambassador in July.
3: Not necessarily. Would you have taken that meeting
7: if if a member of John Kerry's campaign traveled to the Ukraine? Um, Would you have taken that meeting?
3: I guess it would depend on what the purpose of the meeting was.
7: Well, that meeting actually occurred, and it was with John Holbrook. John Holbrook was a private citizen, traveled to Ukraine, met with U.S. ambassadors, met with Ukrainian officials. He was also there on about HIV-AIDS, which was, in addition, something that the Clinton Foundation was working on. So we have a, a official of the John Kerry campaign in 2004 as a private citizen meeting with our ambassador in Ukraine. Time of the gentleman's expired.
3: We meet with
9: private individuals all the time. It probably wasn't unusual for Julia. The time has expired. Mr. Carson, you're recognized. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, thank you, Madam Ambassador. Madam Ambassador, returning to the topic of corruption, uh, we heard evidence that you were successful at promoting efforts to address corruption. On Wednesday, in testifying about your very sterling career as a champion of anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine, Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent said, quote, You can't promote principled anti-corruption action without pissing off corrupt people, end quote. It seems that your efforts as ambassador to essentially reform the powerful prosecutor general's office in Ukraine did exactly that. Madam Ambassador, what concerned you about the prosecutor general's office when you were the ambassador in Ukraine?
3: What concerned us was that uh, there didn't seem to be any progress in the three overall objectives Uh, that Mr. Lutsenko had laid out, uh, most importantly for the Ukrainian people, but also the international community. So the first thing was reforming uh, the uh, prosecutor general's office. It's a tremendously powerful office where uh, they had um, authority, not only to conduct investigations, so an FBI-like function, but also to do the actual prosecution. So very, very wide powers, which is part of that Soviet legacy and um, they, there just wasn't a lot of progress in that. There wasn't a lot of progress in um, handling personnel issues and how the uh, structure should be organized and who should have uh, the important jobs because some of the people in those jobs were, um, were uh, known to, uh, were considered to be corrupt themselves. Uh, secondly, uh, the issue that was tremendously important to the Ukrainian people of bringing justice to the uh, over 100 people who died on the Maidan during the Revolution of Dignity in 2014. Nobody has been held accountable for that. And that is you know, kind of an open wound for the Ukrainian people. And thirdly, uh, Ukraine um, needs all the money uh, that it has. And uh, it is, there is a strong belief that former President Yanukovych and those around him made off with over $40 billion. $40 billion, that's a lot in the U.S. It's a huge amount of money in Ukraine. And so, um, again, nobody has, uh, none of that money has really been, uh, I think I think maybe $1 billion was uh, repatriated, but the rest of it is still missing.
9: Madam Ambassador, was the head of that office corrupt? We believe so. Uh, And you got the sense, did you not, that he was a driving force behind some of the attacks against you? I did. uh, Which ultimately led to your removal, correct? Yes. Uh, But it wasn't just him. His allegations were picked up and spread by Mr. Giuliani and Donald Trump Jr., were they not? Yes. So, let me get this straight. You were effective at fighting corruption in the Ukraine. Fighting that corruption was important, too the national security of the United States, and you were punished for that, ultimately being removed from your post by the president of the United States. So in your opinion, Madam Ambassador, why is it important to have a nonpartisan career in the foreign services?
3: I, I think it's important to have a nonpartisan um, career foreign service office, big uh, or service, I should say, sure. uh, because... Um, What we do is inherently nonpartisan. It is about our national security interests. It's not about what is good for a particular party at a particular time. It has to be about the the greater interests of our security in, frankly, what is an increasingly dangerous world.
9: And Could you briefly describe for us what broad US policies you have sought to advance in your 33 years of service, and specifically in post-Soviet states like Ukraine?
3: Well, that's a <laughs> broad question, uh, but I think that um, certainly in my time in, in uh, Russia, Armenia, Kyrgyzstan, all of these countries are very different, as is uh, Ukraine. And uh, but uh, I think that establishing uh, positive, uh, constructive relations to the extent that we can uh, with uh, with uh, with those countries is uh, is really important. Um, and that uh, you know, I mean, there are three basic areas. One is security. Uh, the second is economic, and the third is political. And so, working all the sub-issues, your colleague mentioned many of them, um, you know, we certainly did that in Ukraine as well.
9: Thank you for your service. I yield to
10: the Chairman. Thanks. Dr. Wenstrup. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and, and Madam Ambassador, thank you very much for being here. And And I just want to start by saying, I appreciate your years of service, and enduring years of moving around the world to dangerous places. And hearing from you today, I realize that we share some of the same feelings and experiences as an Army Reserve surgeon. I received a call on a Monday afternoon in March of 2005 that told me I was being deployed to Iraq and I had to be out the door in the next two to three days. I I had patients scheduled for months. I had uh, surgeries scheduled um, and had to go. So I understand that shocking feeling That can come with some abrupt change like that. And I was processing a few days later, and uh, I was told my orders would say, you're going for 18 months, but it may be a little shorter than that. But I served a year in Iraq, 2005-2006, one of the bloodiest times of the war. And this is where I have another um, personal relationship with what you were talking about. I saw a nation in Iraq of people that craved a non-corrupt government. And sadly today, even though it helped to remove Saddam Hussein, they still have corruption concerns in Iraq. And uh, I can relate to what you said just a few moments ago, that it feels like an an open wound when it hasn't been resolved. But you might imagine, with that military experience and background, I take an interest in military strategy and capabilities and the thoughts of those with boots on the ground, like you and Mr. Volker and Mr. Taylor. Uh, in your deposition on page 144, your quote is saying, in terms of lethal assistance, we all felt it was very significant that this administration made the decision to provide lethal weapons to Ukraine. Just real quick, who in general makes up we all? Would that be the team I mentioned? Yeah, can I just, just one
3: second.
10: What, what line is that? Well, I, I have to move on. I only, so you said we all felt it was very significant that this administration made the decision to provide lethal weapons to Ukraine. I assume that is those that have boots on the ground. And, and then this administration, I assume you meant the Trump administration. Yes. Yeah, okay. In your deposition, uh, also on page 144, you spoke about the generosity of Congress. You mentioned it today, increasing aid to Ukraine. And part of your deposition, um, after that statement that I quoted before, you asked, did you advocate for that? You responded, yes. Then you were asked, did you advocate for that prior to the new administration in 2016? And you responded, well, yeah. On page 148, you were, the question was, you were, were you satisfied that the administration was doing what was necessary to support Ukraine? You said, in what respect? And they said, in, you know, helping them deter Russian aggression, helping them with foreign aid and foreign assistance. And you said, yeah. And I agree that that lethal assistance was very significant, as you said. And I thank you for that, and I thank Mr. Volker, and I thank Mr. Taylor. You know. Um, The, um, you know, Acting Ambassador Taylor was uh, here Wednesday. He testified about the President's decision to withhold lethal aid, and he said the President felt it, it might provoke Russia. And Mr. Taylor contested then that Russia has already been provoked and they have invaded the Ukraine. You know, President Obama had the right to make his own foreign policy and make his own decisions as President of the United States, correct?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's an interagency process, and obviously Congress but has a role has, as well.
10: He, he has the right as president. I respect the interagency process. I'm getting to that, actually. But he has the right to make his own foreign policy and make his own decisions as president of the United States, as do all presidents, correct? Yes. So we have one president, Obama, who denied lethal aid altogether in spite of ambassadors and other boots on the ground recommending making that recommendation such as you did. We have another president, Trump, who vetted those that were gonna receive the aid and provided it consistent with your intra-agency recommendations and that of your your colleagues. Let me just ask you from a military standpoint, without javelins, would, would you agree the Russians had much greater military offensive options and flexibility in their effort to attack the Ukraine with, without the Ukraine having javelins.
3: Yeah, I mean, they had another option, um, although the tank war has, is no longer the war that is being fought in Ukraine.
10: Yeah, but I'm just saying with the javelins. Yeah, it's another option. And there's a reason for that, because the javelins are there. And so yeah. I think that that changes the scenario. But I, I just wanted to, to make that point that the president has a right to have their own foreign policy and to make their own decisions, and with that, I yield back.
3: Yeah. If I could just um, supplement one of my answers. Of course. Um, so I want to thank you for your service as well. Um, but what I'd like to say is, while I, I um, obviously don't dispute that the president has the right to um, to withdraw an ambassador at, at, at any time, for any reason, um, but what I do wonder is, why it was necessary to smear my reputation.
10: Also. Well, I wasn't asking about that, but thank <laughs> you very much, ma'am. Representative Speer.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, thank you, Ambassador, so very much. You were confirmed by the Senate on a voice vote, weren't you? Yes. So unanimous, Republicans and Democrats, correct? Yes. No dispute. You said that in summer of 2018, the smear campaign began. In your testimony earlier today, did Secretary Pompeo at any time come to your aid?
3: Well, my understanding from uh, Assistant Secretary Phil Reeker and Deputy Secretary Sullivan is that, um, you know, this sort of the rumors about me, if, uh, for lack of a better word, the smear campaign, which was behind closed doors at that point. Um, that uh, there were a number of discussions between the President and Secretary Pompeo, and that he actually did um, did keep me in place uh, for as long as he could. That's what I was told.
11: So it appears that back in 2018, the President was already making noises that he wanted you out of there. It appears that as early as April of 2018, Mr. Parnas was at a fundraiser for the president and recommended that you be removed and then subsequently in May of 2018 was pictured at a White House dinner with the president and then later in May made a contribution of over three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars illegally to the president's reelection campaign. Are you aware of that?
3: I'm aware of the, 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 the press
11: about those things. Does that um, help you understand a little bit more why this smear campaign was underway?
3: Yes, I mean.
11: All right, you uh, made some very riveting comments in your uh, statement this this morning that I just want to repeat because I think we should have you expand on it. You said, I've always understood that I served at the pleasure of the president. I still find it difficult to comprehend that foreign and private interests were able to undermine U.S. interests in this way. Individuals who apparently felt stymied by our efforts to promote stated U.S. policy against corruption, that is, to do our mission, were able to successfully conduct a campaign of disinformation against a sitting ambassador using unofficial back channels. Now, As I listened to you make that statement, I was thinking of all the other persons in the Foreign Service who now have to be concerned that it's not good enough to follow the stated U.S. foreign policy, but also to be aware that maybe the president has a back channel of interests that he is promoting that is diametrically opposed to our stated foreign policy. Can you expand on that, please?
3: Well, I think that um, it's important uh, that whoever is representing the president, uh, an ambassador, uh, speaks with the full authority of uh, the president and our foreign policy establishment. And if there are others who are also helping uh, with uh, with the responsibilities in that country, for example, Ambassador Kurt Volker with his important mission uh, to bring peace to the Donbass, um, that we all speak with one voice, that it's all about our common security interest and that it's not about, um, you know, personal gain or commercial gain or anything else, that it's about our national security. But in this case,
11: the Trace Amigos appeared to be more interested in getting an investigation than into promoting an anti-corruption effort in Ukraine. Is that correct?
3: That appears to be the case.
11: Um, You were told at one point in 2019, in February of earlier this year, you spoke to a minister in Ukraine who warned that when it came to Rudy Giuliani, you needed to, quote, watch your back. What did you understand him to mean?
3: I I didn't exactly know, um, but, uh, you know, the, the rumor was out there at that time. And in fact, I think this minister Um, also shared that information with me that um, the mayor was working to have me removed.
11: Let me just say um, to conclude that you have endured an orchestrated character assassination. That it was hatched over a year and a half ago and that it's laced with enormous campaign contributions to the president's reelection campaign. And you deserve more from the American people and you deserve more from Congress in supporting you. I yield back. I have Mr.
7: Stewart. unanimous consent.
0: Mr. Stewart, you're recognized. I have unanimous consent, Mr. Chairman. Uh, we can take that up later. Mr. Stewart, you're recognized.
12: Thank you, Mr. Chairman and others. And uh, Ambassador, thank you for being with us here today. Uh, welcome, as I said last uh, a couple of days ago to the witnesses. Welcome to year four of the impeachment proceedings. I'm sorry that you've gotten drugged into this. For three years we've heard these outrageous and frankly unbelievable accusations regarding Russian collusion. Uh, Accusations that we now know are absolute nonsense. There was no basis at all despite promises from some members of this committee that they had secret proof that would prove this collusion and again we know that it was nonsense. But now in year four we apparently move on to Ukraine and quid pro quo culminating yesterday when the speaker announced that the President would indeed be impeached and removed for office for bribery. And with that uh, statement, I would now feel compelled to ask you, Madam Ambassador, as as you sit here before us, very simply and directly, do you have any information regarding the President of the United States accepting any bribes? No. Do you have any information regarding any criminal activity that the President of the United States has been involved with at all? No. Thank you. Thank you for answering that directly. The American people know this is nonsense. The American people know this is unfair. And I have a prediction regarding this. I think that public support for impeachment is actually going to be less when these hearings are over than it is when the hearings began. Because finally, the American people are going to be able to see the evidence and they're going to be able to make their own determination regarding that. Now I want to ask you one thing very quickly, and you've been asked this again and again, but my question is slightly different. You've been asked, as you recognize, that the president, any president, has the ability to ask his ambassadors to serve at will. I'm curious, do you think that's the right policy?
3: Yeah,
12: I probably think it is. I I do as well. It may be imperfect. There may be times when it's not used perfectly, but I agree with you. It is the right policy. I don't think that we should change that. Now, I'd like to read from some previous statements, including one of your own, as, as well as others, regarding the appropriateness of investigating corruption in the UK. From Ms. Fiona Hill. So again, the fact that there are investigations into corruption in the energy sector in Ukraine, as well as Russia and many other countries, is not a surprise. From yourself, your previous testimony question, was it the general understanding that Burisma was a company that suffered from allegations of corruption? Your answer was yes. From Ambassador Sondland, I, am, I just am generally aware that Burisma is considered a potentially corrupt company. Would you agree then, that it's appropriate to investigate corruption?
3: I think it's appropriate if it's, um, if it's part of our um, national uh, strategy. Um, what I would say is that we have um, a process for doing that. It's called the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty. We have one with Ukraine. And generally it goes from, the, from our Department of Justice to the Ministry of Justice in the country of interest. Okay, And, and that's
12: I, the usual path. And I appreciate that. Regardless of the process though, it's appropriate for us to investigate potential corruption. And especially, look, we're we're about to give these, uh, some of these countries, hundreds of millions of dollars. The the U.S. taxpayer said, here's a dollar of mine, go ahead and give it to this other country. But please only do it if you know it's not gonna be used for corrupt purposes or against our national interest. And and I'll I'll conclude with this, because I promised my friend, Mr. Jordan, I would save him a little bit of time. We mentioned earlier, the Vice President, when he was, went to the Ukraine and called for the specific firing of a specific prosecutor, that he was, as they say, completing official US policy. But the interesting thing is this, the Vice President had exactly two countries that were his responsibility at that time, China and the Ukraine. And he has bragged and been very proud of his influence in the previous administration. He says again and again, that the Obama administration listened to him. So it doesn't surprise me that they would be fulfilling a policy that this vice president certainly helped to formulate. Mr. Jordan, I leave you. In Cyprus, I'm sorry, Cyprus, uh, <clears throat> thank you. Clarification, I, and I will yield to for unanimous consent. I have
7: unanimous consent, Mr. Chairman, that doesn't involve you this time. <laughs> um, it's uh, three articles the New York Times article 2004 campaign the advisors carry foreign policy crew has a Clintonian the Clintonian Time of the gentleman it. has expired Kiev post Holbrook uh, to visit Kiev, July up, 2004 uh, I, and the news, recognize Richard later Holbrook meets with one time has expired organization I'd like um, to have Mr. that you know Quigley you're Mr. 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 Quigley you
13: recognized Mr.
7: Quigley you recognized
13: thank you Madam Ambassador it's like a Hallmark movie you ended up at Georgetown this is all okay But it wasn't your preference seven, eight months ago, correct? No, it was not. Wasn't your preference to be the victim of a smear campaign, was it? No. Wasn't your preference to be defamed by the President of the United States, including today, was it? No. Wasn't your preference to be ousted at seemingly the pinnacle of your career, was it? No. You wanted to finish your extended tour, correct? I did. What did you want to do after that? Did you know?
3: I I wasn't sure.
13: There's nothing wrong with Georgetown. It's a fine place, right?
3: It's a wonderful place.
13: But it's your only choice at the end of a distinguished career after all that. It's not the end of a Hallmark movie. It's the end of a really bad reality TV show, brought to you by someone who knows a lot about that. Why did you, you previously testified that you sought advice from Ambassador uh, Sondland at this time about what to do. Is that correct? I did. And why did you reach out to the ambassador?
3: Because this was clearly so political, and was not going to be, um, you know, the State Department was not uh, in a position, shall we say, to uh, to manage the issue. It didn't appear to me, and so I asked Ambassador Sondland, who um, said that he, uh, you know, he was a political appointee. He said he was close to the president. And um, so he had just been in Ukraine for a ship visit uh, with uh, some of his EU colleagues from Brussels. And um, so I reached out to him for advice. When this was no longer a Ukraine kind of uh, an interview with Mr. Lutsenko, kind of a Ukrainian, but it became sort of the uh, sure. American, um, American politicians and Pundits, etc., were uh, repeating those allegations. I asked him for advice.
13: And it meant a lot to you. This is an extraordinary time. Uh, it meant, and the advice meant a lot. And, and what was what was his advice?
3: Well, he suggested uh, that I needed to go big or go home. Uh, and he said that uh, the best thing to do would be to. Um, you know, send out a tweet, praise the president, that sort of thing.
13: And what was your reaction to that advice?
3: Well, my reaction was that um, I'm sure he meant well, but it was not advice that I could really follow. It felt, um, it it felt partisan, it felt political, uh, and um, I, I, I just, that was not something that I thought, was in keeping uh, with my role as ambassador and a foreign service officer.
13: Did he give you any specific suggestions on what to say about the president of the United States or just say something nice about him? Yeah, just praise him. Thank you. I yield the balance to the chairman.
0: I I want to follow up on Ms. Quigley's line of question and also harken back to something you were asked by minority counsel earlier. You were asked a couple of questions. Do you think you could have done more to push back against the smear campaign. Um, And I'm not suggesting this is what the council is getting at, but sometimes victims are asked, aren't you responsible for your own victimization? What would you say to people who say, isn't it kind of your fault, Ambassador, that you didn't fight your own smear harder? (laughs)
3: Um, Well, I think that, um, you know, I've been a, Foreign Service officer for a long time. And just like the military, we have our own culture. We have our own kind of chain of command, so to speak. And I did everything that I could uh, to um, you know, to, uh, to address these issues and ask the State Department to do what I felt was the right thing, which was support me uh, when, uh, when it was important to do so. Uh, because it was also about supporting the policy. Uh, I
4: I, I think it was for others to stand up for me.
0: I quite agree. Uh, Representative Stefanik.
4: Thank you. Since the Chairman has gaveled out all of my colleagues with their unanimous consent, I am going to read for the record many of the Chairman's comments uh, in September of the importance of hearing from the whistleblower. Again, Ambassador, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your service. But since we haven't been able to conduct ourselves in normal procedures, I'm just going to use the five minutes for this. September 29th, in the Wall Street Journal. Quote, the whistleblower at the center of the impeachment investigation of President Trump will testify in the House very soon. This is a quote by the chairman. USA Today, September 29th. Talking with ABC News this week, Schiff, the Democrat who chairs the House Intelligence Committee, said the whistleblower would testify very soon. And the only thing standing in the way was getting security clearances for the attorneys representing the whistleblower so they could attend the testimony. From Vox, September 29th. Rep. Adam Schiff said Sunday, the whistleblower at the center of a growing scandal surrounding President Donald Trump will testify before the House Intelligence Committee very soon. On CNN, September 29th, Schiff said Sunday on ABC as well as NBC's Meet the Press that he expects the whistleblower to testify very soon. The Washington Post, September 29th. In an appearance on ABC News this week, Schiff echoed Pelosi's message. He also said he expected the Intelligence Committee to hear from the whistleblower very soon, pending a security clearance from Acting Director of National Intelligence, Joseph McGuire. In the Huffington Post, Schiff told ABC's this week that he expects the whistleblower to appear before this committee very soon. In the New York Post, quote, we'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. In the Washington Times, quote, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in. These are all quotes from Chairman Adam Schiff. In Talking Point's memo, the question was posed, actually this was by George Stephanopoulos, have you reached an agreement yet with the whistleblower and his or her attorneys about coming before the committee and providing the information firsthand? Quote, yes, we have, Schiff responded. And as DNI McGuire promised during the hearing, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in and come in without a minder from the Justice Department or from the White House to tell the whistleblower what they can and cannot say. We'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. In Daily Coast, We're ready to hear from the whistleblower as soon as that is done, and we'll keep obviously riding shotgun to make sure that the acting director doesn't delay in that clearance process. In CNBC, we'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. In Market Watch, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said Sunday that an agreement has been reached under which the whistleblower will testify before the committee very soon. I can keep going, but again, the chairman refused to uh, allow us to put these into the record with unanimous consent. So I've read those out, and as we know, it is important to protect whistleblowers from retaliation and from firing, and we want to make sure whistleblowers are able to come forward. But in this case, the fact that we are getting criticized by Chairman Adam Schiff for statements that he himself made early on in this process shows the duplicity and just the abuse of power that we are continuing to see with a minute 54 seconds left, I'll yield to my colleague, Mr. Jordan.
14: I thank the gentle, uh, gentlelady for yielding. Uh, I would also add that uh, the chairman has promised we'll get to see the transcripts, but there's still four people we've deposed that we have not been able to use the see their transcripts, have their transcripts released, and, uh, released. and therefore the testimony they provided we're not able to use in these open hearings. If it's an open hearing, all the available testimony from depositions that has been taken by the committee should be available to be discussed for the American people to see, but no, no, no. Mr. Morris and Mr. Hale and two other, Miss Williams, two others have, and, and another one have not yet been released. So I hope the chairman releases that. One other point I would make in the, in the last minute of Ms. Stefani's time, the Democrats have asserted that this, this whole thing with, with Ambassador Ivanovich was part of some sinister scheme by the White House to get Mr. Zelensky to do an investigation. President Zelensky to do an investigation. If recalling Ambassador Yanovich was part of some scheme by Trump and Pompeo and Giuliani to get President Zelensky to do an investigation, why would they replace her with the Democrats first witness, their star witness, Bill Taylor? I mean, that, that, if that's the plan, not the best plan I've ever seen put together. Their star witness, their first witness, Mr. Taylor, was here Wednesday? That's what they were up to? I think it just demonstrates that that is not what went on here. Mr. Zelensky never undertook any investigations. And the reason the aid was released, as we discussed on Wednesday, was because Vice President Pence, Ambassador Bolton, and US senators all talked with President Zelensky. And they were convinced he was the real deal, as the ambassador has alluded to in her testimony. That's why the money was released.
15: That I yield back. Mr. Swalwell. Mr. Chairman, a lot has changed since the whistleblower came forward, two things in particular. First, most of what the whistleblower has alleged has been corroborated by the witnesses that we have heard from. Second, the president, who my colleagues so shamelessly continue to defend, continue to pressure, threaten, and intimidate the whistleblower. So I'd like unanimous consent to put into the record a September 26, 2019 article from Business Insider. Trump suggested the whistleblower who filed a complaint against him is guilty of treason, which is punishable by death. Without objection. How about September 26, 2019, Vanity Fair. Trump suggests executing the whistleblower's sources like, quote, in the good old days. Third. Without objection. September 29th. Whistleblower's lawyer raises fear for client safety. From chance. Axios. Mr. Chairman, the whistleblower has an absolute right to anonymity. The whistleblower's lawyer has said that he fears for his personal safety and will only answer questions now in writing. I wish my colleagues would join me in protecting the whistleblower's right to anonymity. But here, Ms. Ivanovich, we are here to talk about you and what you witnessed, and you saw a lot as it related to Mr. Giuliani. And I want to read a quote to you from Mr. Giuliani, but first ask you, when you were in Ukraine, you understood that Rudy Giuliani was Donald Trump's personal lawyer. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Are you familiar with Rudy Giuliani's quote in The New York Times, describing himself as the lawyer saying, quote, he basically knows what I'm doing, comma, sure, as his lawyer. Were you familiar with that quote?
3: It sounds familiar.
15: And you have a lawyer with you today, uh, Ms. Ivanovich. Mm-hmm. And you understand that lawyers act on their clients' behalf. Is that right? Yes. That it would be improper for a lawyer to go outside any directive that a client gives. Is that right?
3: That's my understanding.
15: Are you familiar with a New York Times story on May 9, 2019, where Rudy Giuliani says that he intends to visit Ukraine and says, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation. Are you familiar with that quote? Yes. That's 11 days before you were removed as ambassador. Is that right? Yes. He is talking publicly about designs on coming to Ukraine. But what I think is interesting Uh, is that Mr. Giuliani says, "we're," as in we are. He doesn't say I am not meddling in an election. He doesn't say I'm not meddling in an investigation. He says, we. He's speaking for himself and his client. And I want to talk about that quote, we're not meddling in an election, we're meddling in an investigation. Is it proper for you or anyone who acts on behalf of the United States government to meddle in an investigation?
3: No, I don't believe so. Why not? Well, there are law enforcement channels, and it Things need to be handled properly and without any kind of political bias.
15: Now, this anti-corruption crusader, President Trump, who my colleagues have touted out as having such a great interest in anti-corruption, in both the calls that have been referenced today, the August 21 call and the July 25 call, isn't it true that President Trump never mentions the word corruption?
3: Yes, that's true.
15: And as far as the foreign aid that my colleagues keep saying, well, he can't be guilty, he didn't complete the cheat, the aid went to the Ukrainians, isn't it true that the only reason the aid, or the only time the aid went to the Ukrainians was after the whistleblower complaint became public?
3: Yes, it was after the whistleblower complaint became public.
15: So you don't really get points when you get your hand caught in the cookie jar and someone says, hey, He's got his hand in the cookie jar, and then you take your hand out, which is essentially what my Republican colleagues and the president are trying to take credit for. Finally, I want to put up the disgusting tweet from the president today where he attacks your character. But I think I know who you are, Ambassador. I think the country knows who you are. He smeared you when you were in Ukraine. He smeared you on that phone call with President Zelensky on July 25. He is smearing you right now as you are testifying. Ambassador Yovanovitch, are the president's smears going to stop you from fighting corruption?
3: Well, I will continue with my work.
15: And if your country asks you again to fight corruption, will you still do that despite the smears? Yes. Thank you. I yield back.
16: Mr. Hurt. Your Excellency, 33 years. we will move over here. 33 years, six Senior Foreign Service Performance Awards, five State Department Superior Honor Awards, the Presidential Distinguished Service Award, and the Secretary's Diplomacy in Human Rights Award. You're tough as nails, and you're smart as hell, and you're a great example of what our ambassadors uh, should be like. You're an honor to your family, you are an honor to the Foreign Service, you are an honor to this country, and I thank you for all that you have done and will continue to do on on behalf of your country. Now, I'm nervous about what I'm getting ready to do. I wanna do a five-year history of Ukraine in about 45 seconds and now that you're a a professor you can grade my paper okay Valentine's Day 2014 the Ukrainian people get fed up with the Ukrainian president Yanukovych and basically overthrow him he goes on the run this was the um, revolution of dignity Um, who was the acting president during that time when Yanukovych went out
3: I think it was
16: Turchnov, is that how you say it? Turchinov, thank you for helping me. Turchinov, okay, excellent. Then in March of 2014, that is when we saw little green men um, coming into Ukraine, and ultimately uh, the Russians invade the Ukraine and not only annex, try to annex um, Crimea, uh, but also try to, they invade the entire country in the eastern Donbass as well. Yes. Um, then there was an election and the Ukrainian president was Poroshenko. That was in June of 2014. Then you came to post in 2016 of August, is that correct? Two years later. Uh, January 2017, Trump was elected. And in December of 2017 is when the javelins were approved. Mm-hmm. Right? And we saw those javelins delivered in April of 2018 to be put to first use. Then we had a Zelensky, uh, elected in 2019, uh, April, correct? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, uh, the Zelensky defeated the previous president, Poroshenko. Yes. There's no love lost between those two dudes, is there?
3: I don't think so.
16: <laughs> okay. Um, and then in May of 20, 2019, Zelensky is sworn in. Yes. So my questions, um, we talk a lot about Rudy Giuliani. Do we know what officials Within the Zelensky regime, he actually met with. I know two. A gentleman named by Uramak, who was one of Zelensky's um, senior advisors. And then we also know of the former attorney general that we've already established here. Um, the we didn't was corrupt Lushenko. right? And Mr. Lushenko served under Zelensky for a couple of months up until April. excuse me, August, is that correct? Yes, that's right and their parliament basically voted him out, is that correct? Yes, that's right. So, if Rudy Giuliani is trying to influence the Zelensky regime, would a guy that worked under the previous regime, under Poroshenko, be the right guy to do it?
3: Uh, So are you saying Mr. Lutsenko? Yes. That he, uh, could you, uh, could so you did Mr.
16: That? Lusenko have much credibility within the Zelensky regime, the current, the current regime? I don't think so. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, now, Mr. Yermak. do you know of any other Ukrainians that Mr. Giuliani was meeting with that was part of the Zelensky regime?
3: Well, just to remind, I, I would have already have left Ukraine by that
16: uh, point, but, there but was no, a, I'm not aware. E- even with the administration to come, right? Zelensky uh, won the election. There was a two-month uh, period of b- preparing to be installed as president. Even during that time, were you aware of any there contact? There was.
3: Um, so there is a, um, one of the oligarchs, as we've heard about. One of the oligarchs is named um, Mr. Kolomoisky, and he met with Mr. Fruman and uh, Mr. Parnas, and that was apparently to get a a meeting for Mr. Giuliani. And
16: those are, but those are not people that were actually in government or became in the Zelensky regime, is that correct? Uh, No. Okay. Um, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you.
17: Mr. Castro. Thank you, Chairman, and thank you, Ambassador, for your 33 years of service to our nation. A big question here today is why you were pushed aside as Ambassador For example, Americans know that an employer has a right to fire an employee, but they shouldn't do it for certain reasons. You shouldn't be fired because you're disabled, because you're a woman, because you're black, and for other reasons. And I think most Americans agree that a president shouldn't fire an ambassador or recall an ambassador because the ambassador is standing in his way of doing a corrupt act. So I want to ask you, did the president ever tell you why he was recalling you? No. Did anybody at the White House ever tell you why you were being recalled? No. Did the president ever consult you about who the good guys and the bad guys were in the Ukraine? No. Did Secretary Pompeo ever tell you why you were being recalled? No. And it appears in the testimony that we've heard in the Intelligence Committee so far that there were a group of the president's men, perhaps Secretary Perry, Rudy Giuliani, Ambassador Sondland, who were in on this scheme to help the president get the Bidens and Burisma investigated. And I want to put aside President Trump for just a second and ask you, in all of your years of service, have you ever come across a president been asked by a president or known of colleagues who were asked by an American president to have to help, the, help that president get an American investigated overseas? I'm not aware of that. And if a president asked you to investigate a former vice president for this purpose, what would you have said?
3: I mean, with what I know today, I would have said no
17: and would you have considered an unlawful act?
3: I don't know that it's unlawful, per se, but I think, again, uh, that there are channels for conducting proper investigations, and that that would have been the best way to handle something like this.
17: But certainly it would be, it's bizarre for a president to ask that some American be investigated by another government. It's very unusual. And also you mentioned that there is corruption in Ukraine. Ukraine isn't the only country that that confronts corruption. If the people in power in a country where corruption is rampant are being asked by a foreign leader who's got a lot of leverage over them, to conduct an investigation, could that be dangerous? Because they could trump up charges against someone if they wanted. They could. And I also want to ask you, I spoke to um, Ambassador Kent. He made a comment yesterday uh, about selective prosecutions and what it means going forward, what kind of precedent it sets. And you've spoken about a dangerous precedent for the State Department and for diplomats. But I want you to help us consider the precedent going forward. If there's no consequences for President Trump or really any president who does this, what are the consequences for this country and for any American, not just a former vice president or presidential candidate or even somebody in politics, but a person in business who does business in Saudi Arabia or some other country? If a president is going to speak to another head of state or some foreign official, and try to get that person investigated, what does that mean for the future of the country and for Americans?
3: Well, I think that um, investigations, prosecutions, judicial decisions properly uh, should remain uh, with investigators, prosecutors, and uh, the courts. And I think that, as I said before, uh, I think Senator Vandenberg when he said that politics needs to stop at the water's edge. I think he was right in that.
17: Uh, you back to the chairman.
18: Mr. Radcliffe. Thank the chairman and I, Ambassador Yovanovich, I'd like to uh, join all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle in uh, thanking you for your service. Um, I'd like to ask you about your uh, earlier testimony, uh, about your uh, Senate confirmation, and. Congresswoman Stefanik had asked you um, how the Obama-Biden State Department had prepared you to answer questions about Burisma and Hunter Biden specifically. You recall that? Yes. And uh, she mentioned that you had been asked or been prepared for a question about (laughs) Hunter Biden's role on the board of Burisma, but I don't think that you gave us the answer or answers that the Obama-Biden State Department uh, prepared you to give in response to that question? Do you remember what those answers were?
3: Yeah. It was um, something along the lines of, uh, I would refer you to the Vice President's office on that.
18: So, did they, in the course of that, uh, brief you about um, the amount of money that Hunter Biden was being paid by Burisma?
3: No. This wasn't part of a briefing. I mean, I had sort of big old books with questions that might come up.
18: In preparation for your confirmation. And they thought that Hunter Biden's role at Burisma might be significant enough that it would come up uh, during your confirmation, is that correct?
3: Apparently so, I mean, there were hundreds of questions.
18: Well, um, hundreds of questions, but were there hundreds of companies? Um, How many companies other than Burisma did the Obama-Biden state department prepare you to give answers for and if so if there were others which ones
3: i just don't recall
18: you don't recall that there were any other companies is that correct
3: i'm quite sure there probably were some companies but i i I mean you know this is a while ago and i don't recall
18: but you specifically recall burisma yes all right out of thousands of companies in the ukraine the only one that you recall the Obama-Biden State Department preparing you to answer questions about was the one where the vice president's son was on the board. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, You understood from uh, Deputy (laughs) Assistant Secretary George Kent's testimony, as it's been related to you, um, that he testified a few days ago. Do you understand that that arrangement, Hunter Biden's um, role on the Burisma board, caused him enough concern that, as he testified in uh, his statement, that in February of 2015, I raised my concern that Hunter Biden's status as a board member could create the perception of a conflict of interest. He went on to talk about the vice president's responsibilities over the Ukraine and — or over Ukraine — Ukrainian policy as one of those factors. Do you recall that? Yes. Did you ever — do you agree with that? that it was a legitimate concern to raise?
3: I I think that it could raise um, the appearance of a conflict of interest.
18: And did you discuss that ever with Mr. Kent? I don't believe so. Shortly before your confirmation in August of 2016, um, uh, Prosecutor General Shokin was fired by President Poroshenko, correct? Yes. And um, President, or uh, uh, Prosecutor General Shokin was the one who had opened the investigation into Burisma, correct?
3: Um, I I think that's right, but I'm I'm not actually sure.
18: He was in charge of it, at least at that point in time, as the Prosecutor General. Mm -hmm. And are you aware um, of the very public uh, statements by the Vice President that that firing of the Prosecutor General occurred In March of 2016, uh, six hours after the Vice President uh, told President Poroshenko that he needed to fire the Prosecutor General or that he wouldn't receive $1 billion from the United States. Do you recall that? Yes. All right. And do you think that that um, raises a potential concern or conflict of interest that the Vice President of the United States was ordering? the firing of the prosecutor in charge of a company that has been identified as one that is substantially corrupt?
3: I actually don't. I don't think that uh, the uh, the view that um, Mr. Shokin was not a good prosecutor general fighting corruption, I don't think that had anything to do with the Barisma case.
18: But the legitimate concern about Hunter Biden's role was legitimate, correct?
3: I think it creates. Uh, a, a concern that there could be an uh, appearance of Well
18: based on interests. your testimony, uh, Ambassador, I, I'd like to renew my request, Mr. Chairman, that uh, Hunter Biden's testimony that has been requested. The time of the gentleman has expired. Requested by the Republicans be considered the expired. as Mr. legitimate Heck, rather recognized. than as a sham, as the, uh, the gentleman was has been referred to the by the chairman. Your time is expired. I have a unanimous Mr. Heck. I have a You're unanimous request.
0: You're not recognized, Chair. Mr. Heck, you are.
19: Ambassador, I'd like to thank you very much. Add my voice of gratitude for your years of service. Frankly, you're the best of this nation, and I cannot think of anybody else I would rather have representing us in a foreign capital than you. you. My colleagues have gone to a great deal of effort to better understand the facts surrounding your removal. I think the facts are pretty clear. There was a smear campaign. And it was orchestrated by a corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor, the president's attorney, the president's son, and even some of the president's allies at his favorite TV station. So that campaign led to your removal, despite 33 years of outstanding service, progressive responsibility, and awards. And so I kind of sit here with a mix of emotions. On the one hand, there's some pride and gratitude for all your outstanding service, and on the other hand, I'm angry, like my friend from Connecticut. In fact, I'm very angry about how it is the most powerful person on the face of the earth would remove you from office after your stellar service and somehow feel compelled to characterize you as bad news and then to ominously threaten that you're going to go through some things. So I am angry, but I'm not surprised. After all, as was suggested earlier, he said the whistleblower may have committed treason, a crime punishable by death, even though the whistleblower strictly adhered to the letter of the law as independently attested to by both the Trump-appointed Inspector General and the acting DNI. After all, he even demeaned the memory of Senator McCain after he lied in his grave at the Naval Academy grounds despite a lifetime of public service, and serving six years as a prisoner of war in a tiny cell in Hanoi, being beaten and tortured every day. And after all, he belittled the Gold Star Khan family, whose son, Captain Khan, gave his last full measure of devotion out of love for this country. And let me tell you, as somebody whose older brother never saw his 35th birthday because of service in the Vietnam War, those words are deeply offensive. Words matter, and the words leveled against you constitute bullying of the worst order. Your good character, your outstanding reputation have been besmirched in a way that is devoid of common decency. But here's my message to you. There is nothing, Ambassador Ivanovich, nothing he can say or do not a thing that will in any way diminish the nature and quality of the service you have rendered to our great nation not a thing and there is not a thing he can say or do that will diminish our gratitude to you for that service and i thank you again for it thank you thank you so as to the larger point i i would like you to answer what does this mean to Ukraine when the United States actually engages in the kind of behavior that we are attempting to discourage them from engaging in, namely a politically motivated prosecution? What does that mean to our What does that mean to them in their struggling efforts to become a robust democracy? What's the impact in Ukraine for this behavior? Yeah.
3: Well, I think Ukraine, like many countries, looks to us for the power of our example, and um, I think that when we um, engage in questionable uh, activities, uh, that that raises a question, and um, it, it it emboldens those who are corrupt, who don't want to see Ukraine become, um, you know, a democracy. Free market economy, uh, a part of Europe, but want Ukraine to stay in, um, you know, under Russia's thrall. And that's not in our national security interests.
19: Thank you, Ambassador Ivanovich. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I yield the balance of my time to the chair.
0: I think the gentleman, I understand that either the witness or council would like to take a short break. Um, Let's take a five minute recess. If if members of the audience could please remain in the seats to allow uh, the witness or counsel to uh, leave ahead of us, we will uh, resume in a few minutes. Uh, We are in recess.